ourselves that God is alive, reminding ourselves that God takes what is dead and makes it alive again. And the truth is, many of us need that reminder because you feel kind of dead during the week. You feel like a lot of stuff you run back to. You feel like a lot of stuff is not necessarily going the way you think it should. So when we gather like this, it's a, it's a great way to just remind ourselves of who God is. We need to do that. So I'm, I'm really glad you guys are here. Um, just to reiterate what Matt was talking about, feel free to grab one of these bulletins if you haven't, because we don't go over every announcement inside of here just for time's sake. Um, and, and read through it, because there's a lot of stuff going on, things like Meet the Village, which is a chance, especially if you're newer, uh, to find out more about the church we do over lunch. Let us know. Fill out the connection card or email in. Let us know. We'd love to schedule that. Other opportunities for you to connect, get baptized, um, get into community, whatever it might be. One of our goals is that our Sundays would be almost a way for you to find a first step to get into this community. So we're really glad you guys are here. Uh, we have got a really special treat today. We've got a guest preacher. Um, and uh, hopefully you're not happy just because it's not our normal preaching. But it's a, it's a special opportunity to hear from the Word of God from uh, a man of God. And our guest preacher today is Pastor Sean Wise, um, all the way from Philadelphia, but originally out of Baltimore. So this is like a homecoming for him, but he's in Philly now. I've been doing ministry there for many years. I've actually known Pastor Sean for a good number of years now. Originally met back when I was in Philadelphia and uh, reconnected with him. We're both in doctoral studies at a seminary outside the Philadelphia area. So I got reconnected earlier this year. And I said, Yo, I need to have you over at our church to bring the word of God. So we are very excited about that. He, uh, he's we're here with a lot of his family, and um, his wife, unfortunately, Erica, couldn't make it today. She's, uh, she's not feeling too well, so we can keep that in prayer as well. But I want to encourage you guys, um, as you're listening to the sermon, and this is all the sermons, but it feels a little self-serving if I say it about myself. But when we have a guest here, there's a section on your bulletin to take notes. We encourage you to do that, not just for a purely academic reasons, but this is helpful for you to digest and process process what God is doing. This is not like more TV. I mean, I mean, sometimes that's what church feels like, right? It's like another television show and you kind of get entertained for a little bit. And this is meant to be something that God is speaking to you. And hopefully past just Sunday, you can meditate on these things. You can let the word of God speak to you, reflect on what you heard, because often you're not going to get everything fully just from today. Does that make sense? So we give you that space there to take some notes. I would encourage you to do that. And, um, and, and one of the things about being a multicultural church, as we're growing more into that, we've got a lot of people from different backgrounds, and we like to bring uh, even teaching from many different backgrounds. And I, I uh, warned Pastor Sean already before he came, he's like, um, you might feel as you're preaching that people are not with you because it might feel kind of quiet at times. That doesn't mean they don't love you. Uh, but I would encourage you guys, uh, if you want... Feel free to give some affirmation. Let Pastor Sean know you are, you are listening. You're not just waiting for lunch to come, but you're there with him. Uh, for some of us, that's just going to be a big nod. It's okay. Nod with all of your might, and it's, it's okay. But, but um, we are really encouraged to have Pastor Sean here. So why don't you come up? Let's welcome him as he comes up here. Praise the Lord, everybody. Now, Dan just said to nod intensely, so please nod intensely. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. That's what we would do in the African-American tradition. It's good to be here this morning. We thank God for this opportunity to be with you guys. It's um, really exciting for me. I'm very thankful to be here. Um, as Pastor Dan said, I'm originally from Baltimore, so this is kind of like homecoming for me. I was born and raised in Baltimore uh, for the first 15 maybe years of my life. So much of my history and heritage and memories um, were founded in Baltimore. I moved to Philadelphia after that, and 
my spiritual formation kind of began at that point. Um, but Baltimore is home for me, and uh, I am a Ravens fan, and I am an Orioles fan. Um, prayerfully, we hope better for the Orioles, but thank God nonetheless. Amen. Uh, so we're glad to be here. Um, I brought some um, extra amens just in case you get stingy with yours. Um, I have my family here. First of all, uh, as Pastor Dan said, my wife was not feeling good. She's been really overworked, so she couldn't make it for this trip. Um, I brought three of our children with us, and so they're going to be my amen section. Um, uh, three of my daughters are with me. I want to just ask them to stand up at this time. That's um, Sophia on the right, Sage in the middle, and Yasmin on the left. And they were so excited just to get out of the house and go someplace different. So they were happy to be here. Um, and um, we prayed on the way here. And we, as we were praying, we just sensed God's confirmation uh, because the navigation joined us in prayer. Amen. Uh, but we thank God for being here. I also have my family from Baltimore, some of my family here. Uh, I'm going to ask them to stand up this time. These are my cousins from Baltimore. Uh, they attend New Psalmist Baptist Church in Baltimore. And I'm so glad that, uh, they mean so much to me. They're uh, very much part of my formation in life. Uh, they've uh, connected with that. I just want to give a, you may be seated. I want to give a brief sharing about uh, the, my cousin David on the left. Um, uh, stand up, David. David um, is here, and I've seen him. He, he actually recently was released from the hospital. Um, he was in a horrific car accident July 4th um, that um, involved um, a removing of his skull. And it's an amazing testimony that he's alive and that he's here. Can we give God praise for that, everybody? David, being here, thank the Lord for him coming um, to be a part of this. Thank you, and it's so good to see you. Okay, guys, I'm not going to be before you long. Uh, there's a passage that I want you to meet me in. It's Romans chapter 8. Um, Romans chapter 8. I understand that Pastor Dan has been preaching through Romans chapter 8, and through a little miscommunication, um, I picked the same passage thinking that I should have stayed on train of thought. But how many of you guys know that God's word is not is inexhaustible? Amen? It's inexhaustible. So you can get a word from the same passage again and again and again. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to verse 30. We're probably central in on verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all the way to verse 30. And we know that in all things God works for good, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Just for a few minutes, I want to talk around the subject, an unshakable conviction. An unshakable conviction. There are various philosophical approaches to how we should live, various ideologies that shape 
a person's, a person's approach to their experiences. It's very true that in ancient Greece, there were many approaches to life. For instance, the Epicureans believed in the saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. To live life by the pleasure principle, uh, that pleasure is the sole purpose of living. Uh, then there was something called skepticism. Skepticism are people who live with a sense of doubt about everything that goes on. Skeptics question everything that the best approach to life is to be skeptical. In other words, I just received a promotion, but I wonder if I'm going to be laid off next week. Cynicism was a virtue that only good in its virtue lies in independence. This person believes that all human conduct is motivated by a selfish interest, that everything has a negative motive. Then there was something in Greek culture called Stoic Stoicism, and it taught that destructive emotions would result in errors in judgment. So because of the amount of problems, the best thing was to be is to be indifferent to pain. But we are a people not of philosophical approaches, but rather we are a people of convictions. And a conviction is a strong belief system, a state of mind in which you are free from doubt and no one can change your mind. A conviction is not just a theory. It is not something that you made up. It's been tried and tested. It is a conviction. And God is looking for some people who make it on their convictions. Now, convictions are not simply speculative. Neither are our convictions philosophical. But our convictions are based on the word of God. Therefore, they are not just convictions, but we hold unshakable convictions so that we can be unshakable in the context of a culture that is constantly shaking. Can I submit to you one particular unshakable conviction that I believe that will help you to come out better in this life? It will be a rallying cry as you approach the deep hunger to figure it all out. It will provide assurance in a culture that is often shaky. It will help you to trust and lean and fall deeper in love with God. It will help you to process life's meaning, even though the pieces of the puzzle of your life may be everywhere. It is profoundly theological, but yet it has the potential to shape your worldview. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul in the book of Romans is teaching about the righteousness of God. What Paul is saying is that God is righteous, but God is righteous in the fact that we are unrighteous. In fact, we cannot make ourselves righteous. Our fig leaves are unacceptable. In fact, all of our, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So therefore, we must be made righteous. We must be declared righteous. Paul's case is that God and his love for us has made us righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That Christ has become the propitiation for our sins that he might be just and justifier of those that believe in him. 
So Paul takes us on a tour of his argument, and I'm not going to give you the whole book of Romans, but uh, in chapters 1 through 3, he, he declares that we're unrighteous, and he concludes in chapter 3 and says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. All have gone astray. All have gone away. Our mouths are open supper because our feet are swift to shed innocent blood. The way of peace we don't know, and the fear of God is not in our eyes. He says, for all have sinned, not y'all, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then Paul uh, introduces a faith that will save. He said that Abraham believed God and God put a righteousness on his account. In other words, if we do what Abraham did, we'll get what Abraham got. Now, I know that's bad English, but it's good theology. In other words, the faith that Abraham demonstrated becomes the model for you and I of the kind of righteousness that we can have in Christ. Amen. And so Paul says in chapter 5, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have access to this faith in which we stand. And he says, And we glory in our tribulations because tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is spread abroad. Can I preach this like I feel? It? For the love of God is shed in us. He says, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for us. How many of y'all are glad that Christ died for us on the cross and that gave us life and righteousness? Paul goes on to talk about in Romans 6. He says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And he says, we died with Christ. We were buried with him and we rose that we would walk in the newness of life. But every Christian has this schizophrenic problem with sin because when we want to do good, evil is present. And the good that I should do, I don't do. And the evil that I shouldn't do, I keep doing. Paul screamed out in crazy, crazy exoria. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then when we come to chapter 8, Paul says, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad about that? That there is no condemnation to you and I who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we come up to about verse 22 and getting toward 28, Paul is telling us that there are some things we can be assured of because of our salvation. In other words, we are not walking on eggshells, fearful and insecure of our situation. I'm not left wondering if one day he will want me and then maybe the next day he will not want me. We are not wavering and flaky and easily moved because we're, we're unshakable because our conviction about our standing is unshakable. Paul says, we know, we know some things are best passed around in the community. This is not something I know or just you know. It's what we know. In other words, we have a responsibility to pass this on. That a blessing is best when it's given away. The reason why things, I believe, are so bad in our culture is because maybe we're forgetting to pass it down and around. And in fact, it's like it reminds me of the book of Judges because it says a generation has risen up that did not know Joseph. And I believe that maybe a generation before us passed it on and maybe a generation after that passed it on. But I really believe one of the biggest problems we're having is we're forgetting to pass our convictions on to the next generation. So Paul says, it's not that I know. Paul says, not that just you know. But he says, and we know. He says, this is something we know. Not something we read, not something we just heard about, not something we got off Facebook or we tweeted. This is something that's deeply embedded in our experience. This is when we say, when you know that you know that you know that you know. This is something that's been tried and tested. This is not just something we got off Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil or Dr. Spot or anything like that. This is something that's serious to us. 
Now, this is very clear that there's some things we just don't know. We don't know why Ebola has ravaged Liberia and parts of this world. We don't know why cancer they have not found a real cure for. We don't know why some of the most tragic moments happen in time. But for the believer, help me somebody, for the one that's called, justified, and predestined, we live in the small, narrow place of having comfort that because of who we are related to and what he has planned for our lives, there are some things that we know. There are some things that we can be sure of. In the midst of a context where there's some things we don't know, there are some things that we find peace in because there are some things that we know. Paul, in the midst of a Greek culture full of cynicism, stoicism, epicureanism, gives us a bibliocentric approach to life. He says, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good. See, we have a deep conviction, here it is, that God has included us in his plans. How many of y'all understand today that God has plans for our lives? His plans are perfect. His plans are right. His plans are true. Do you not realize that we are tied into his plans? That brings praise to my mouth because I'm tied into the plans of God. The reason why sometimes we don't get it because it's like computers. There's the upload and the download. You upload into the superhighway, but you download back into your computer. The problem is we're so busy uploading stuff to God. We're uploading what our dreams are. We're uploading what our plans are that we miss the download that we should receive from God. We upload who, who we're going to marry. We upload where we're going to work. We upload how many children we should have. We upload our income, but we should get the download and realize that it's not really about my will, but your will be done. That you are actually joining in with his plans. What we hold into the conviction is that God has plans for us. God has wonderful plans for our lives, marvelous plans. If I was in my church in Philadelphia, I would say, child, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is not some accidental occurrence. This is not some twist of fate. But God in his sovereignty has been ordering your steps. It may not seem like it in your narrative. You may be feeling like giving up. You may be feeling like throwing in the towel. You may have seen failure happen in your narrative. But I've come to share with you today that you are still in his plans. Just briefly, I'm going to look at this text in verse 28 and just kind of break it down real quickly. The first thing we can have is a conviction that God has plans for us. And what we learn from Paul in Romans 8, 28 is that these plans are inclusive. Paul says all things. In other words, not just some things, but all things. I like to go to um, buffets. Sometimes I go too many times to buffets. But the beautiful thing about a buffet is you can pick and choose the things you want versus the things you don't want. But what Paul is saying is not a buffet. That everything is under God's comprehensive care and control. All things, illness, all things, failure, all things, job challenges, all things, promotion is under the providential care of God. See, we hesitate to believe that he's in it all. You know what I found out? We, we want to edit. We want to delete from the hard drive some of the things. But all means all. Do you not realize that the painter uses the dark paints 
and the dark paints on the canvas seem to destroy the canvas. But the dark paints are meant to add beauty to the painting. What looks like it's messing up the picture is really adding beauty to it. Do you not realize that God is in the dark points of your life too? Sometimes we become ashamed of our past. Sometimes we want to conceal stuff in our mind. Some, sometimes we have nightmares. But God is over even the nightmares. All things. He says all things work. You can discern God at work in everything. God is putting on his hard hat, his work gloves and boots, turning bliss into blessing, tragedy into triumph, pain into praise. You may not see the activity going on, but he's working. You may think there's nothing going on in your life, but I'm here to let you know he's most active even when it seems like nothing's going on. God is working. I, I can share with you briefly my, my story. Um, I was born and raised in Baltimore, born on a street called Palmer Road. I, I never made it to the hospital. Uh, my mother had me as the seventh child, and she didn't make it to uh, the car, the ambulance. She had me in uh, her own home. And, um, you know, my relatives who were here would testify that um, one of my aunts said, it looks like I wasn't going to make it at that point. But I'm here to let you know, sovereignly, God was working. When I was transferred because of my mother... Um, had schizophrenia, and my father was in Philadelphia, and she wasn't able to take care of me. They took me over to my great-aunt's house, and she raised me for 14 years of my life. And I'm here to let you know, she took me to church, and she made me go to the best schools. You know, I went to even Roland Park uh, Middle School over here. And at that point in my life, God was working. When my aunt died and I moved to Philadelphia, and I came to Philadelphia and went through teenage years and manic depression and even contemplated an attempted suicide and God saved my life at the age of 18, God was working. When I later joined my call and accepted my call and went into the ministry and began to teach and preach at different churches and pastor the church, God was working. And even in failure in my life, mistakes in my life, shortcomings, God was working. Because you know why? His providential care has been over my life. And how many of y'all can see God's working over your life, bringing you to salvation, bringing you to his will? Why sit back and be depressed? Because you don't see much going on now. Sometimes we just can't see it. Like the disciples, when Jesus was walking on water, they thought it was a ghost. Sometimes we just don't know what we're looking at because we're looking with natural eyes. Like Elijah told the servant, Lord, open his eyes. They are more with us than against us. If you could just see that God was working. If you could see it, you wouldn't get depressed. But you would worship and praise him. That if he's at work in everything, you would get excited even in the seasons that are silent. Your best praise would not just come when there's fireworks, but, there, but when there's nothing going on. In the silent years of your life, you understand that God was working. All things work together, Paul says. The word together in the Greek is synergo. It's talking about synergy. In other words, everything's working in partnership. Kind of like if you bake a cake, you would take different ingredients. You would take vanilla extract, you would take flour, and you would take different, I don't know all of the ingredients for a cake, but if you made it from scratch, it would have some good stuff in it. But in and by itself, it doesn't taste good. Vanilla extract does not taste good. Flour does not taste good. 
But when you put it all together and when you beat it and you put it in the oven and you give it the right temperature and the right time, when it comes out, it comes out as something that's tasty. But in and of itself, it didn't taste good. But when you put it together, what I submit to you today is when you look at events in your life, in and of itself, it doesn't look good, does it? But when you look back over it, in light of God's sovereignty, in light of God's providential care of your life, it comes out as something beautiful. How can you resolve people like Joseph? Think about Joseph. His brothers were pretty rough, weren't they? There was jealousy in his story. There was rape in his story. There was violence in his story. There was betrayal in his story. Joseph's story should have been on an HBO movie channel. Joseph's story is hotter than scandal. But when Joseph reaches the pinnacle of his life and he looks back over his story and begins to put it all together under God's sovereignty and under God's providential care, Joseph is able to say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant it for my good to save many people because he understood that God was working all things together for good to those who love God. Amen, everybody? And are called according to his purpose. How can you say this verse? How do you say this when life has dealt you a bad hand? How can you say this when a loved one has stage four cancer? How can you say this when, when money is funny? How can you say this when a child is in prison? How can you say this when you've experienced a serious breakup? How can you say this when there's a pain that you can't get rid of? How can you say this when life is choking you at times? I don't want to say that God is causing all things to work together for the good. I don't want to say that God is working this out for the believer. Because if we were to be honest today, life's experience can cause you to have a sort of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's easy to become bitter and angry over the events in your life. It's tempting to allow bitterness to bite you. You can question God's plans, become disenchanted. To the point that you stop coming to church because of events in your life. You stop worshiping God. Some people shut down and never come to church because of bitter experiences. I say today, don't get bitter, get better. Don't just go through, grow through. Let God buoy you to new heights in him. If you stay stuck, you will never reach the places that God wants you to be. That although life has moved on, it's possible to be somewhere back 20 years ago. How many of y'all believe today that God is a healer and God is a mender of broken hearts? Amen? Because God causes all things to work together for the good. In the same way, God is working things not just for the good, not just for my good, but for the ultimate good. In other words, it's really not about me. It's about his eternal plans for the ages. That my life is not held together by philosophies. I'm not just some accidental creature locked in my own paradigm of life's meaning. I'm not making it because I submit to good karma or bad karma. I don't place the best of my days on fate. Or I'm not just lucky. I'm not just in control of my own destiny. But I'm making it on the summation of it all that is unshakable. 
How many of y'all know today that our times are in his hands? That he has providential care over my life. The times we're living in, people are shakable and shaky because their convictions are shaky. Psalms 1 says they're like the shaft which the wind drives away. But today I stand here confident. Today I stand here strong. Today I stand here with full assurance that I'm living on the overflow of confidence that God has me in his plans. He is causing all things to work together for the ultimate good of me, the saved, the called, the predestined ones. Not simply because he's trying to make me rich. Not simply because he just wants to make me successful. Not simply because he wants to make me popular. But because he wants to make me like Jesus. Not just here and now, but in the ages to come. That my marriage is making me like Jesus. My job is is making me like Jesus. My children are making me like Jesus. What are the convictions that you are making it on today? What are you building for your life, for your family, for your children? What are you going to make it on? How are you going to make it? What gives you hope and, and meaning for your existence? How do you answer people who ask, how are you making it? How do you answer people that say, what's the deep meaning for your life? Or is life simply stuck in some spiritual groundhog day repeating itself over and over again? I'm living on the confidence that God has me in his eternal plans. And that one day, after all of these things have been working for the good, to me who loves God, one day, it's going to be all put together. And one day I'm going to see his face. And John says, I'm going to be just like him. That brings praise to my lips. That makes me feel excited about what God has in store for me. Are you excited? Are you thankful? For the plans of God. Can you thank God that he's placed you in his plans? Can you thank God right now? Just say thank you for his plans that he has you in. Do you thank him that he has you in the hollow of his hands? And that nothing will separate you from his love. Somebody here today may be wrestling with what this thing called life is really all about. But I challenge you to get in line with God's purposes for your life. Because if you do, the question mark will be turned into an exclamation point. Because you'll be able to rejoice that you are in God's eternal plans. Can you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that life is not just a, a fog to us. That we're not lost aimlessly hoping that life will get better. But we're, we're not standing, Lord, on shaky ground 
God, we're, we're, we're confident that you have created a beautiful plan for our life. We can look back over experiences in our life. We can look back and we can give you praise that your providential care has been over our life. Father, we, we realize that sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we allow negative thoughts to run through our mind. Why am I here? Why did certain events happen? God, I pray right now that you would help us to build our families on an unshakable conviction that we are in your eternal plans. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you died on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you rose again with all authority that we would have eternal life. We're awesomely blessed by the God of this world. And we just thank you. We pray, God, that somebody here today will allow the word of God to settle in their hearts, that they might build an unshakable conviction in a shaking society. In the name of your son, 